Hello team, it's Pam here from Alt Marketing School. I have a question for you right now and that is what would happen if you could market to hearts and not brains? What would you think would happen if you knew that you could make the world a better place with positive impact marketing but putting purpose and results first? If you want to find out, then come and join us for the Alt Marketing Certification. Our six-week digital bootcamp for professionals who want to do marketing differently and advance their career along the way. Join me and our six incredible teachers to learn how to advance your career with confidence by applying effective systems and frameworks to the latest trends. The next cohort is coming up soon, so I would love to have you join us. And all you have to do is apply to join at altmarketingschool.com slash learn. Go to altmarketingschool.com slash learn to apply for the next cohort of all marketing school certification. Hello and welcome to Make an Impact Show, a podcast run by Creative Impact Co. Our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories via outstanding content. Hello team and welcome back to the Make an Impact Show. My name is Fab and I am your host today. And I have the pleasure to talk to Bella Younger. You might not know Bella, but you definitely would know her alter ego, Deliciously Stella. Especially if you have been in wellness and on Instagram for the past eight years. Deliciously Stella was named as one of Glamorous Magazine top eight female comedians and one of the evening standards most influential Londoners twice. So much so that the account itself spawned a spoof cookbook, a podcast with over 100,000 downloads and even sold out a live show at Edinburgh Festival. Among other things such as becoming a trending topic worldwide on BuzzFeed. In her memoir, Bella Younger, the comedian, influencer and author behind Deliciously Stella, shares her experience and she exposes the dark underbelly of a life lived on social media. In The Accidental Influencer, she shows the hidden sadness behind the follows and the fame, as well as some of the lessons she learned along the way. We have a great chat, Bella is incredibly funny, but also we have a thought-provoking chat. And I would recommend everyone to listen to this, to start thinking about their relationship with social media and with validation and anything in between. As always, I hope you're going to love the show, you're going to enjoy it. So please let us know what you think and also who else you would like to see on the Make an Impact show. How you can do that, just go to Creative Impact Co. on Instagram and tell us your recommendations. Until next time. Good day, everyone. Good, good day. Good day. Today is a good day. And hello, Bella. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really excited to have you here. And I'm a bit jealous because you're obviously talking to me from Mallorca and I'm currently not in Mallorca, but I'm not going to hold it against you, I promise. <laughs> Thanks. I am so excited to have you here because um, actually, funnily enough, obviously, people that know Creative Impact, they would know that we used to be called the health bloggers community. So mm. as you can imagine, 
We had loads of experience with, with the big people that at the time in 2014 and 15 would be all over the health scene. So obviously, Deliciously Sad, when it came about, it just made me laugh so much. So I know the story from Dan, and it's been so interesting to see the evolution of the story. And I'm really excited to let you tell us a bit more about yourself and the journey you went through. But before that, we're going to warm up. Oh, okay. Break the ice. I'm not sure. So whatever you feel, hot or cold, whichever works for you. Ready? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, we've got a couple of questions. The first one from me would be, what is the first job that you had and what did you learn from it, Bella? First job ever. I worked as a cleaner in a bed and breakfast in Ullapool. And I learned how to do hospital corners on beds. And I don't remember how to do them anymore, but I feel good that I at least knew at one point, maybe. I love that. And you know what's interesting? When, when I ask this question to a lot of people, I mean, I don't get often this answer anyway, but it's really interesting that a lot of us have had experience in hospitality or just kind of like these little jobs. And I think it also teaches you a lot about being around people how old were you at the time as well I was 16 yeah so it's like you know being like still young or a teenager and being around like different people people of different ages it's kind of interesting how that comes about as well what would you say was um the first grown-up job I guess <laughs> before jumping on to the next step um well my first job out of university I was writing product descriptions for a sort of fancy online fashion outlet so it was like more luxurious than net-a-porter so like I'd be like this bag costs 15,000 pounds and is individually studded with diamonds and obviously no one we never sold anything so no one buys like a 15,000 pound bag online um and it was weird like I literally worked somewhere with no windows and no one was allowed to speak and um, Fergie, the Duchess of York, was always in the shop upstairs. It was so strange. I eventually, I, I got sacked. or well, I think I got made redundant. And the CEO on my last day um, transferred £500 into my bank account by mistake, then sacked me, and then was like, oh, by the way, that was meant to be for my wife, and asked for it back. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. You remember, you remember, oh God, that, that is amazing. I can just imagine like the little cubicle as well. And then you're like, you know, the Duchess of York is going up and that's, that's interesting. It was <laughs> such a strange job. You know what? I think if anything, these jobs like have bring some good anecdotes that you can actually tell and remember when you have a bit of a laugh and a crack. I so. love an anecdote. That's basically what I'm on earth for is anecdotes. That's like my superpower, I think. That's pretty much what I'm going to expect for the rest of this chat. So I was <laughs> like, just throwing them at me, let fry and center. The bar like. is on the floor after that first one. I'll give you some good ones. <laughs> I enjoy that. It's just so surreal. <laughs> I enjoy that. It's very much like IT crowd vibe without the IT crowd. So I'm yeah. all for that. Um, <laughs> my second question for you, my second um, warm up or icebreaker question is a bit of a quicker one. And it's a bit closer to today. So over the last six months, can you think about the best investment that you've made? And it can be a thing that you bought. And if it is a thing, a hundred pounds or less, or it can also be something that you invested in or time that you invested into something. So it's up to you, but if it's a thing, a hundred pounds or euros or less. Okay, well, it's sort of a bit in between those two things. I got a dog 
And he's definitely the best investment, but he was more than 100 euros. So maybe maybe I should think, think of something else. No, it's all right. I, 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 will, I will take the dog. What? Because he's got a heartbeat, like he's not like a thing. Exactly, exactly. So I will definitely count it to that. So what was the name? His name is Roast. He's the pug, in it? Yeah, he's a pug. I love pugs. He's actually at the door right now whining. He's being an absolute pain in the ass. He can't be alone. Like my dad's meant to be looking after him, but he's obviously escaped. I see, I see. They're like, well, you can have the baby dog. Does he does he snore as they say they do? Well, sometimes, but not nearly as badly. I think he might not be quite pure breed because he seems like he's a lot healthier than a normal pug. Like he doesn't snore and he's very active. And I basically heard that you only like pugs only need twice around the sofa of exercise a day. But roast is like a menace. He's bonkers and he's all over the shop all the time so I think there's something else in him he might be like a tiny bit of greyhound I love that or like a tiny bit of like border collie and actually one day totally. jumping our fence like mm. that's adorable yeah I saw him and I have a little sweet spot for pugs and Frenchies and stuff so I was like this is really cute and I didn't look into whether it was yours so even better now yeah. it counts you know what is emotional is an emotional investment as well so even if he's above 100 pounds it's going to be uh you know like a, a lifetime commitment if anything else so yeah totally he's good for my well-being see that's very important mm. now the last question this is a quick one <clears throat> and you can create your own okay mm-hmm. so a trivia category that you'd be really good at and why um i'd be really good at harry potter love it I know it's lame and it's basic and it's embarrassing because like loads of people are good at it like i wouldn't be the best but i do think i'd be pretty good it's all right again like it, it will be your own show so you can invite anybody else so it's all good it's all just you and testing your harry potter knowledge what was the best memory when it comes to harry potter for yourself so, so when i was um 11 i was at boarding school and my dad worked for merrill lynch and jk rowling came in as a meeting to a meeting to be his client and she was going to have dinner at my parents house and i was stuck at school and i was so upset like i was like screaming crying i was miserable and so my mum went to this party and cornered her in a bathroom and she wrote me a letter and i've still got it yeah i was the first person outside of warner brothers to know that robbie coltrane was going to play hagrid oh i love that that is amazing I loved it though. I loved it. My mum was like, my daughter is your biggest fan. She was like, I've got a lot of those, but okay. <laughs> well, it means that your mum was good at haggling as well, which is exactly totally. Good. Yeah. Well, she because, cornered the yeah. poor woman. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you have to do, you know, to get to get her right <laughs> to get what you want. Well, thank you so much for warming up or cooling down with us and introducing us to roast, which I'm sure will come up again potentially in our chat. Um, but yeah, I want to dive deep now into obviously everything else. And especially one question that I have about the book, because I wrote a few myself and mine are more nonfiction, but also they're more like there's an element of education and supporting the readers. So not as intense, but still very cathartic, even for a book that is not as much about me and my own journey. So when it came to the writing process and when it came also to the whole journey now that came to the actual promotion, how how was the experience for you also emotionally like I feel it's generally quite cathartic anyway to write a book and put yourself into it but in this case you literally poured yourself into it 
Yeah, I mean, I found the actual writing of the book incredibly cathartic and almost like a form of therapy. And it was just being able to finally close the door on that experience and get something positive out of it. And that was great. And then I found promoting it horrendous. I It made me so anxious. I had to be on social media way more than I like to be. I, I hadn't really been on Instagram a, a lot for a long time. And so I didn't really know how to engage with people. And I was like, okay, I'll just not really say much and hopefully it will just be fine and the book will sell and my publishers were like get on Instagram right now and I had to do so much press I had a photo shoot in a bikini for the Guardian which made me all sorts of mad and that the whole thing just made me go a bit fruity for a couple of weeks and um yeah no I, I won't be doing it again fiction from now on from a promotion level you know what? I think it's something that um, we don't talk about a lot, even as authors. And and in general, obviously, you talk about it also in the book, which I find like, this is why I understand where you're coming from. You know, we have to put ourselves out there a lot. And especially when it comes to promoting a book, you will have to do it anyway. And a book that has got such a key topic when it comes to really going through the journey of you and obviously then becoming an accidental influencer. Hmm. It's kind of like almost like the irony of then having to go back into that and pull yourself into that again. Oh, completely. And trying to explain to someone that you hate doing press, they're like, yeah, but you don't really. Like, obviously, you love being in the paper. And I'm like, no, seriously, it gives me all sorts of anxiety. I would rather just sit in a cave, let everyone do it for me, and then emerge and be like, yeah, people bought it. It's great. But, you know, obviously, you have you have to take the rough of the smooth and you have to do the promo. But I found the whole thing just really mentally debilitating. I really, really hated it. But... How did you manage to, was there anything that you did in the meantime or was there any way that you managed to to kind of, you know, bring yourself back in or to actually kind of like check in with yourself when you felt it was a bit too much with the roller coaster of it? Yeah, I'm lucky because I'm in Mallorca. I can spend a lot of time in nature really easily. So I just did lots of hiking, lots of swimming in the sea, lots of sort of like just going, this is so far from what your life is now. Like you're in Spain. No one knows who you are. No one cares you're in the Guardian because no one reads it. So it's it's separate and it's not a big deal. And on the day that it came out, I was like, this is going to be the worst day of my life. And it was fine because I wasn't there. I wasn't in it. It wasn't really happening. So it's nice having a bit of geographical distance for the emotional distance, I think. <laughs> so the, naturally, the emotional distance that comes from me is it's that detachment. And I understand how that would play out, especially when at least you don't have to like talk to everyone or Again, even just going in the streets of London and knowing that maybe you're you are on the paper and you're on the front cover of something. Mm. Um, mm. I was wondering actually, when it comes to to that to that combination, did you find though that when it comes to the reception of it? Because I've seen some some really good positive comments and obviously some what I love about it is like some suggestions about just getting you know teenagers to read it and getting other people to get their perspective is there any of these little things that actually give you a bit of silver lining or the little good things that came from people reading it and actually either resonating as well I think or just making them think and question things yeah I mean it's obviously amazing to know that anyone's reading and connecting with your work but especially because I do think it's a cautionary tale and I, I do think that it's something that we need to especially concentrate on in teenagers. I've been and spoke at a couple of schools because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to leave Mallorca, but there's some international schools here that I've spoken at. And, you know, it's, it's a problem that's endemic in people who don't even have very many followers. Like all of these teenagers are 
freaking out and their parents are freaking out and I'm just like just talk to your talk to your kids about this there's got to be a reason why one in five kids wants to be an influencer and they need to know that it's not necessarily all it's cracked up to be and you know honestly for me quite dangerous when was can you can you think about one moment probably one of the moments that you definitely write down in book as well where you knew that something has changed. Maybe if you want to actually, let's do it this way. Maybe you can give us a bit of background again about the beginning of the story of the book, just in case somebody doesn't know exactly what it's about yet. And then maybe we'll get into that as well. Yeah, so I was sort of someone that was a bit allergic to social media. I didn't really have anything. I occasionally post on Instagram to my 200 followers. And I was working in television, studying wellness, um, clean eating girls, essentially. Um, and I had this idea because I was writing a comedy show that I would parody them. So I started making their recipes out of sweets. I started an account called Deliciously Stella, which is a ripoff of Deliciously Ella. And within about two weeks, I was in the papers and it had it went completely viral. I ended up having 150,000 followers. And the more followers that I got, the more my mental health started to suffer to the point where I was addicted to likes and followers and how many likes and followers I got on a post could dictate how I felt about myself, how well I thought my day was going to go and started really messing with my self-esteem. When did you, when did you feel that you were getting to that point? Was there like a, we call it the rock bottom moment. So excuse the, excuse the actual like a crass <laughs> term, but was there a moment where you were like, something needs to change or I, I need to, I need to really look after myself or I need to think about this. Yeah, definitely. I had been working really hard. I was working four days a week in a production company. I'd just done my Edinburgh show. I got a book deal with Penguin. I was in the papers a lot. Like everything was really going my way, but I was really burnt out. And I was planning on going on this holiday. And sort of the day before the holiday, I was like, I just don't feel right. And I've, I've suffered with mental health issues before. So I went to go and see my psychiatrist. They put me on a new pill and it sent me completely loopy. So I ended up going on this holiday with all of these things to do, with these pills that had made me go completely loopy. And when I got to Spain, where I was staying with my friends, I realized that I wasn't able to buy food to make jokes on my account. And I just completely flipped. I was like, if I can't keep the Instagram going, my life is over. And I had to fly home. I got diagnosed bipolar over Skype. And I ended up living with my parents for a couple of months because I'd essentially had a sort of mini breakdown. And it's kind of interesting to see how, you know, sometimes it's kind of in, the, in these moments we're actually able to, to see things in a different way. And actually, you know, I, I appreciate that being kinder to ourselves is also something that comes from then like the journey then to be able to almost detach ourselves with what we could call like, you know, the online life that actually we're leading as well. And so you actually said that right now you don't spend a lot of time on social again, and then you have to go back to it because of the promotion of the book. So I was kind of wondering, did you find that then you had to go cold turkey, you had to actually take that time off and were you then able to get back to it again? Or it's something that you left behind until then, you know, the idea of the book came about and you had to start promoting that again? It's weird. I sort of like, I take big breaks and then I come back and I think, oh, no, this will be fun. Or, oh, I really want to make this joke and I, I'll do it. And I'll be like, oh, it'll go really well. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm back in the game. And then it'll take about three days until I go, OK, I don't think this feels very healthy. I think I'm becoming obsessed. I need to stop again. Um, and I think there's definitely healthy ways to use social media. And I don't think that 
getting rid of it altogether is a good idea at all because I think it's like just you know it's entrenched in our culture and it's impossible not to use it but just I think everyone just needs to be really wary of how they are using it and just be really on it when you're on it too much I mean like I was the extreme end of the spectrum you know I got a repetitive strain injury in my thumb like I knew I was scrolling too much wow okay yeah that's <laughs> that's impressive. I loved that phone so much <laughs> I love it. Do you still have that phone or you actually got rid of the phone as well? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't think I do. I don't think I hold any sort of sentimental value around anything from that time. I'm just like, ugh, 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 ugh. How did you feel about keeping the same handle and keeping like the same name? Is it something that you did consciously or just something you slept it down and then again you came back to it? Just, just to understand that as well, because as you say, there's still a connection to that and I'm wondering whether you were putting any real connection to it or it just it doesn't affect you as much anymore it doesn't really affect me as much anymore to be honest and like my followers go down all of the time and that doesn't bother me at all and I lied to myself that it didn't bother me for the first sort of year and a half I think after I stopped doing Deliciously Stella and now I'm like oh leave please honestly if you want to (laughs) I'm like I don't know what I'm doing here anymore like it's fine like I'm not trying to cultivate an audience I'm not making any money out of it I'm just like I'm just very relaxed and it's it's the happiest I've ever been not having to care that's a big thing and I can see again like coming back to the burnout in so many different ways but I think it's also because we're trying also to lead two separate lives there's the online life that we need to keep up with and then you've got the offline life that you want to carry out and when you I think when you neglect I love you mentioned nature at the beginning as well I think when we neglect the off offline life let's go this way in the in the world around us and we focus too much on that on that type of connection that is online it becomes quite ephemeral because mm. as you say, like a follower is a follower but is it really the person that will be there for you when you need them is it something that you can open up to and you know how do you understand if you can put your value onto like what a stranger thinks about you as well totally it's all about validation and the only validation that I craved was from strangers and yeah it was completely one way and I wasn't presenting a true version of who I am at all I was presenting a a, a character and you know social media is not a place for nuance anyway but I was literally going love me but I'm this person not who I really am and it ended up just chipping away at how I felt about my real life self I was like why would anyone want me when everyone wants deliciously Stella what what did you learn about you as Bella then from this journey especially as you say as you actually understood that that what was happening it was like okay who is Bella then once Deliciously Stella started fade away I think I learned that I'm a lot more sensitive than I thought I was and I learned to have boundaries and to say no and that you know a, a million people can be screaming at you telling you that you they love you but if you don't love yourself cliche as it is like it's not going to penetrate if you're surrounding yourself with this feeling of inadequacy like no amount of strangers is going to change that like you've just you've got to you've got to look within as cringy as it sounds you've got to do the inner work I've had a lot of therapy can you tell <laughs> you know what though it's sometimes that I I'm a bit sad sometimes because it it actually makes sense and I think it's very valuable but then we're like oh it's so cringy sometimes to say I know I'm just so British and then I'm like Arabella you've had 10 years of therapy you just need to get over this shame (laughs) it's very true and again like it's 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 a way for us actually to 
almost check in with ourselves and actually ask ourselves how how am I doing Mm. and you know I think there's a lot of actually there's a lot of bravery in being like I you know what it's kind of funny because I think a lot of listeners as well a lot of people will resonate with it I am not okay and I'm not going to be okay for the next week so I'm just gonna you know let go of whatever people expect from me whether I expect them to post to show up I'm gonna do what I have to do to, that I know I have to do and the rest can wait and I think there's a lot of actually bravery these days in doing that because it means you're not letting up external pressures and expectations dictate what you're going to do and who you're going to be yeah and when I was at my worst I was in hospital I was in the priory and people were messaging me being like why have you not posted and I'd get my dad to bring sweets in to the hospital so I could take photos because I didn't want to let anyone down and now the thought of doing that now with all of the strength that I have I'm like god how did you get there how did that happen but I think it could happen to anyone I think that sort of flood of people telling you how brilliant you are you're like well if I want to stay brilliant I've got to be brilliant and so you just keep going it's a lot of pressure and I I love uh that you mentioned the work that you do and the help that you want to also provide when it comes to just bringing that awareness for younger generations because again if something like being an influencer I'm better comments I guess but is something that is deemed as a job because creators now can have that as a job and then you look at the fame as the currency you're putting so much pressure on yourself and especially like younger people that are very sensible and sensitive. I don't even know yet. And I think it's something that it's, it's a conversation that has to be had, but also a lot of the time, if you tell them it's different, but I think that example, however, sometimes like hard to share is, is actually what probably is going to, you know, be, you know, resonating with them more than telling them what to do, telling them this is what happened to me. Just, you know, remember that. Yeah, exactly. And also, I'm not saying that I'm like the most sort of straight down the line person in the world, but I'm pretty normal. And it happened to me so quickly and so easily. And I was so sucked in. And I thought that to want to be successful on social media, you had to be vain and you had to be interested in your looks and your clothes. And, you know, I was like, oh, everyone's just really vapid. And I somehow, I think, thought I was above it because I was making jokes. But I wasn't at all. I was still obsessed with all of the same things. I just wanted people to tell me that they liked me. And I, it's a lot of pressure as well when then people realize they actually can make a positive impact online and they want to actually show up. And as you say, it's just, it is almost checking in with yourself. Like, mm-hmm. are you showing up because you want to? Are you showing up because you feel like you have something to say? Or are you showing up because you need that validation today? Exactly. And it's, it's hard because I think you also shows you a side of yourself sometimes that maybe you don't want to see. As you say, you want to be like, I would never do this. You know, yeah. rationally I would, but you know, um, it, it becomes irrational, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. What would you say was one, I'm going to ask you a hard question, I guess, mm. but if, if you can answer that, what would you say is one of the best things that you t- took out from that time? Or even, if not, from writing the book? Is that like a big positive, something that actually clicked or something that helped you do a massive change or like really stood out for you as a positive? I mean, definitely that I now know I want to be a writer forever. And I sort of have always thought that I'd quite like it, but never knew how I was going to get anything published ever. And I mean, when you have an Instagram account with a lot of followers, people will let you do anything. I acted in a BBC sitcom. I wrote countless articles. Like I was published in Vogue. I've written a book, like all these things I would never have been offered without that gateway. And although it was extremely detrimental to my mental health, a lot of the time, it also just opened so many doors and taught me so much about myself. 
And that's the thing also, I will be honest, I, I, I read some of the extracts of the book already and I, I do love, I do love the writing as well. I think it's, it's quite conversational as well and it reads like fiction. So I know you oh, said you want to Thank you. Fiction. No worries. From now on. So I think you're on a good, a good you know, good streak there. because I, I Good, can... good. What would be, what would be the dream book that you would love to write? Is there like a topic or is it like a type of story? Is there something that you kind of feel, you don't have to give too many spoilers if you're already thinking about something, but I would love to see, is it like the new Harry Potter series? Is that basically what's going to happen? No, so I still, I still, I'm writing fiction at the moment and I want to operate in a similar space because I think that the world of influencers is really rich and the world of like performative feminism and that all that sort of thing, like that's what I want to look at. But I'm just trying to whittle down my story to be really clean because I think that something that fiction writers do make mistakes in first is they're like oh my god it's gonna say this about this message and then you're like okay no the plot needs to be good and the characters need to be good and like you can't just be like it's about the patriarchy like you have to actually make it funny I love that though that you're actually taking some of these topics as well and trying to find a way to actually get like you know give that fiction and I guess you have that first-hand experience as well with some of the things you've seen and experienced and then you can add and infuse something a bit you know further down the line and almost step back from it a bit more mm, it'll just be bastardized truth I reckon like there'll be a lot of truth and everything but I won't say what <laughs> oh no oh that's because <laughs> then it's fiction um I'm gonna ask you one more quick question that is a bit unrelated and again it could be another hard one to think about but it just came up into my head now when was the first time that you knew that you were funny when the first time that you felt oh yeah, I, 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 can, I can crack a joke or, you know, I can make fun of this. Is there like a moment or just something that you've always done or is it something that came up for you? I was unbelievably shy until I was about eight years old. And I think that made me really observant. And I think I was thinking funny, dark things in my mind and I never really said them out loud. And then I went to boarding school when I was really young. I was just nine. And I was like, what is my currency here? Like, I'm not sporty. Like, I don't have a pony. Like, I don't have anything really, like, to, to do. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try saying, like, funny things about the teachers. And it just worked. Like, everyone laughed. And I was like, oh, like, this is clearly my thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you. Now, I have... One more question. Mm -hmm. We let people know where they can find more about everything, including the book. This is a question that we ask everyone. So mm -hmm. it's a bit of a closing one. It might be the hardest. And I, I did warn you that we're going to be some harder ones. But Bella, if you could go and have brunch in Mallorca yeah. with anyone, dead or alive, which one person would you pick and why? I would pick Dolly Parton. Love it. Because she's the greatest woman alive. We don't need any more than that. that Vaccine is... goddess. Like the woman who wrote Jolene and I will always love you in one day. She's the best. Love it. That's amazing. Would you take her somewhere special? Would you take oh, absolutely. Her I'd buy her the best that money could buy and I'd make her pay because she's so rich. <laughs> I love it. This is a tree on you. On you, dolls. Cheers for the vaccines. Thanks. <laughs> So first of all, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story with us. Thank you so much for being so open as well. And yeah, thank you also for writing for writing the book. Again, as I said, cathartic experience, as you mentioned, definitely cathartic experience in all around. And it's something that needs to be said and needs to be heard. And the fact that you can say also with a bit of levity and fun, you know, makes it relatable, but also makes people think. And so that's really important. Thank you. 
And if people want to find out more about you, what would be the best place? You want to direct us to the book, to a website? Anyway, you can just share it all. Yeah. So the book is called The Accidental Influencer, and it's available in all good bookshops, including that big bad one that we don't talk about, but probably the easiest one. And you can find me online on at Deliciously Stella on Instagram. And hot off the press, the book is being adapted for television. So hopefully you'll be able to watch it on TV. Amazing. Thank you so, so much again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode. If you loved it, please take some time to give us five stars on iTunes. And make sure that you let us know your ha-has and takeaways on Instagram at Creative Impact Co. Also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group. <laughs>